you so much for your love. Your goodness is never ending. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you that you forgive us over and over. Father God, right now our hearts are so heavy for those who are affected by Hurricane Ian. And please, Father God, let your spirit lead us in the ways that we can help. We pray that you would just bring your spirit fresh upon those who need your comfort, that you would comfort them in a way that only you can do, Father God. We just love you so much. We thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning as Smiley brings the message. We love you. We thank you for your goodness. Amen. Thank you. And this week, we do rejoice as well that we saw two people who came to faith in Christ this week, and we rejoice with that. Uh, what an amazing year it's been to see so many people that you've had a chance to introduce to, to Jesus. Uh, if you're new, we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we're reading through the last book in the Older Testament called Malachi, and our scripture reading this morning is from chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 through 18. This is God's word. Your words, have been, <clears throat> your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain for you to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. It was many years ago, and I was taking, I forget which ones, but I was taking many of our kids to a soccer practice. And one of my sons, you won't believe this, reached out with his hand, and he touched the radio dial. Now, those of you who are old like me understand what I'm talking about. That thought would have been unimaginable for me that I ever would have touched my dad's radio dial. And what struck me was that my kids didn't fear me the way I feared my father. What I thought of touching the radio dial, those of you who know the Bible, you know the story of Uzzah, right? That, that the Ark of the Covenant's on this cart, and it's about to fall off. And remember what Uzzah does? Uzzah stretched out his hand, and he touched the Ark, and he was struck dead. That's what I thought would have happened if I had touched my dad's radio dial. Just like us, I would have been struck dead. Do you know what R.C. Sproul says about that? This is so good. He said, Uzza imagined his, sin, his hand that had sinned was cleaner than the ground that had never sinned. 
And for that arrogance, he was struck dead. Do we ever think like that? This morning, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord, about the fear of the Lord, maybe something we don't hear a lot about today. And, And the point of today's message, what we're going to look at is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, many of you know your Bible. You know that's a verse, right? That's Proverbs 3, uh, or Proverbs 9, verse 10. And so if you learn the point this today, you're going to have memorized a verse. And that's a really cool thing to treasure God's Word in our hearts. So will you read this with me? Because this is really important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we might ask, well, what is the fear of the Lord? So I want to connect you. If you see the first line and the bottom line, if you want to know what the fear of the Lord is, look at the next line, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you know who God is, when you know that He's holy, then you understand what the fear of the Lord is. Now, most people today think that um, holiness means moral perfection. And that's the secondary meaning, the secondary. But the primary meaning, the primary meaning is that God is set apart. He's different from us. He's holy. Uh, And then the secondary meaning speaks of his moral perfection. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of theology. When we talk about God, there's the transcendence of God, that he's not like us. And there is the eminence of God, that he's close to us and like us. The transcendence, that that He's way different than us, and yet He's imminent, He's closed. And and we need a balance of those two to understand the fear of the Lord. And might we say in our culture today that we're a little unbalanced? I think we're much more comfortable with the imminence of God, right? And the closeness of God than we are with the transcendence of God and the greatness of God. Um, what What does the fear of the Lord look like in In Isaiah 66, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Um, Do you ever see God just sitting on his throne and the earth is his footstool? Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Can you imagine being there? There was a day that all there was was God. And God said, let there be. And everything that is came into being out of nothing by his word. (laughs) Oh, for my hand. We look at the vastness of the, my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to the one who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. <laughs> I mean, God speaks and the, and the universe comes into a being. So those who know God, they tremble at his word because of who he is and also because they don't want to displease him. Uh, the fear of the Lord. When I think of that, I think of surfing. I love to surf. Um, But do you know waves are very powerful? Did you know that? And sometimes I'll go to the beach and I'll see a tourist rent a surfboard and and they have the surfboard sideways to the wave and they're going out and they have no idea. They have no idea what they're dealing with. And if that wave hits that board, it's going to decapitate them. You do know what they call where waves break in Hawaii, don't, don't you? They call it the impact zone. 
because that's what it is. Listen, I fear the ways because they're powerful, but I love them at the same time. And that's what it's like with God, that God is a great God. Uh, right? So this morning we're going to, to really begin to understand what does the Bible mean when it talks about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is, to understand, is understanding. And, and if we're going to get God's transcendence and, and, his, and His eminence together, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And that's why we're walking through the book of Malachi. We're walking through the book of Malachi because what we're learning in this book is that everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And we've seen this book. The outline of this book is there's six arguments. Six arguments. Six times God makes a statement. And six times the people object. And, and then six times God presents his argument, his case. You remember last week, right? God said they were robbing God, right? They were stealing from God. And remember how the people objected, how have we robbed you? And then, and then God said, what, in tithes and offerings, right? And so the statement today is God says, you have no fear of God. You have no fear of God. Is that true of you? Do you know of anyone who has no fear of God? That's, that's the statement that God makes. And what we're going to see in this passage is there's, there's two groups of people in this passage. There's in, in verses 13 through 15, a people who have no fear of God before them. And then in 16 and 18, we're going to see people who fear God. And we're going to see how different are the people who do not fear God from the people who do fear God. Verse 13. Your words have been arrogant against me. God says, you have no fear of God. It's expressed in your words. You have no fear. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord of hosts. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? What have we said? Now, I want you to know that they didn't actually speak to God, but they spoke about God. Their lack of fear was expressed in the way they talked about God to one another. He says, you have said, you know, when you were in the restaurant, when you were sitting in your house, when you were walking together, you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What profit? We've been going to church and we've been serving and giving and, and we weep over our sins, but we get nothing out of it. It's vain. It's vain to do so. Not only that. So now we call the arrogant blessed, and, and not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. <laughs> we worship God, we serve God, and, and we're not blessed, and we see all these people, all these people who are doing wicked, they're not, they're, they're not judged, they prosper. Sounds like what we learned a few weeks ago, right? And I encouraged you that if you ever struggle with, well, well why do the wicked seem to prosper and, and those who follow God, why do they seem to suffer so much? Read Psalm 73. Read it. Read it this week. I had one person came up to me and, and said, wow, I read it and it gave me such good insight into that question. But I want you to see that those who do not fear God, uh, that's what verses 13 through 15 are, are like. Now, in verses 16 through 18, what would it look like to fear the Lord? What would that look like? Now, notice in verse 16, twice we see fear of the Lord. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it and 
A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Twice in one verse, who fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So let me point out to you a few things about those who fear the Lord. The first thing I want you to understand is those who fear the Lord are righteous. They're righteous. Verse 18, so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Um, now, now, the righteous, I want you to understand, they're not good people. They didn't produce their own righteousness. They received the righteousness that Jesus offers to us. Is that true of you? Because there's a lot of people who are trying to produce their own righteousness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those people who, who've asked Jesus to give them his righteousness. Let me show you that. In Romans chapter 1, Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that the gospel saves people. And everybody needs to be saved, both Jews and Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We're made righteous through faith, not through our efforts. You see, the word gospel means good news, but it has bad news, and the bad news is we have a problem called sin. It's true of all of us. Because we do not fear God, we don't put Him first in all our decisions, and that's a crime against God. Because we do not fear God, we do not honor our mother and father, and that's a crime against God. Because we do not fear God, we engage in sex outside of marriage, and that's a crime against God. Because we do not fear God, we do not tell the truth, and that's a crime against God. Because we do not fear God, we want what other people have, and that's a crime against God. And we're all guilty. And God is just, and He can't just wink at sin and say it doesn't matter. And God says what we deserve for what we've done is hell, which is separation from God and from all good things. But here's the good news. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus didn't come to help good people get better. He came to save sinners. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, and He lived a perfect life for us. Because to get into heaven, you have to be perfect, and we're not. So He did it for us. And then he went to the cross and paid the penalty for sin because death is the penalty for sin. So all of our sins were placed on Jesus. And he experienced the wrath of God that we deserved. He died on the cross for our sins once and for all. And he cried out, it is finished. And he was buried. But the third day he rose from the grave. And he offers us the greatest exchange ever. He says that if we would give him our sin, he would forgive us and he would give us his righteousness. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what it means to be saved? It means to be saved from our sin so that we could be forgiven and clothed in His righteousness. Doesn't that sound good? It means to be saved from wasting our lives on things that don't matter so that we might live lives for Him that really matter. It means to be saved from hell so that we could enjoy Him forever. And how can we be saved? Through believing in Jesus. Listen, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Who believes in Jesus? Verse 17, it is the righteous of, <clears throat> for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. 
But Smiley, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What is saving faith? And, and we love to say that saving faith really is simple. It's as simple as A and B and C. It starts when we admit. And, and if you've never done this, won't you do it now? What, Jesus, I've sinned against you. That's what it means to have faith. It means to believe, Jesus, I believe that you really existed and died on the cross for my sins. You really did and you rose. I believe that. And then we commit, we transfer our trust from creating our own righteousness and we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Forgive me. Give me your righteousness. Be my savior. Give me eternal life. Won't you do that? It's to trust him as Lord. I'm, I'm tired of rebelling against you. So you move in and take over and, and I'll follow you. Won't you? Um, <clears throat> One day it'll be too late. If you've never believed, won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, do you understand what this says? That listen, not only that double imputation has happened, our sins have been given to Christ and we're forgiven, but he's, he's given us his righteousness. So from that moment on, our standing before God's not based on our performance, but on his. Aren't you glad to be a Christian? You see... Those who fear the Lord are righteous. They're righteous because they've received the righteousness of Christ. Listen, those who fear the Lord, I want to show you a pattern. Those who fear the Lord, there's a pattern that goes like this. First, we see Jesus. Next, we see ourselves and say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And then we ask Jesus and Jesus forgives us. And then mission happens. Let me go through that one more time. We see Jesus... <laughs> Then we see ourselves, and then, then Jesus saves us, and mission happens. <laughs> Do you know when people leave church, the number one reason they say they leave church is it's boring. Oh, oh Lord, forgive us as pastors that we make the holy God boring. Let me show you that pattern in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, uh, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, now Uzziah was king over Israel for 52 years. Can you imagine that? One ruler for 52 years. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Oh, man. Isaiah saw God. He's powerfully sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the throne of his train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. Now, um, angels are seraphim, and they had never sinned. They had never sinned, but God is so holy that even sinless Angels covered their eyes because he was too holy to look at, and they covered their feet because they felt shame even though they had never done anything wrong. Um, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know, sometimes Jesus would say what? Truly, truly. And, and, and that meant pay attention. <laughs> but you know what they say about God? Holy, holy, holy. Do you, do you know the Bible never says love, love, love is the Lord? Oh, but you know what it says? When you look at God, you say, wow, he's not like us. He's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Went to the dentist this week. One of the receptionists 
uh, she said, it's my first hurricane, it's my first hurricane, and we started talking about hurricanes, and then we started talking about earthquakes, and she's from Ecuador. And she said, what it's like when the ground shakes. That's what was happening. Listen, Isaiah is in a place, and the very foundations are shaking. You think he said, I'm bored? <laughs> oh, man. He saw the Lord, right? Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. I love the Hebrew there. It means I'm coming apart at the seams. I've seen the Lord, and now I see myself so differently, and I am ruined. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And he thought of all the things he'd said. He hadn't thought of those till he saw the Lord, and then he saw that. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, first we see Jesus, and then we see ourselves, and we say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Have you ever had that experience? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Oh, can you imagine that? Being undone and then experiencing forgiveness for our sins. Oh, when we see ourselves as hell deserving and we see Jesus wash our sins away, it's changing, isn't it? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Uh, then I said, Here am I, send me. Now notice he doesn't say, Here I am. That would be geography, right? He says, What here am I? That was availability. Man, when he had experienced the love of God, he wanted to please him. And when he saw all the people around him, who stood condemned and they needed to hear the gospel. He said, here I am I, here am I, send me. That's a pattern we see throughout Scripture. People see Jesus, then they see themselves, they're undone, they, they, they cry out for help, and when Jesus saves them, then they engage in mission. Isn't that Peter's story, isn't it? You remember the story, right? Peter fished all night, caught nothing. Remember, Jesus said, can I teach from your boat? He goes, okay. Jesus teaches from the boat. Then Jesus says, put out, you know, cast your nets out. And he says, you know, Jesus is a teacher. But if you want me to cast the nets, I will. And remember what happened? The, the, the net was full of fish, wasn't it? And we would have expected Peter to say what? Hey, that's cool. Let's go into business together, right? But in that catch of fish, he was experiencing the trauma of holiness, wasn't he? His eyes were open to understand who Jesus was. And, and then he saw himself. And what did he say? He said what? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then what did Jesus say? He said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching fish. And what did he do? It says what that he left everything and followed Jesus. Man, that's my story. Is that your story? Is it? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen your sin? Have you heard him say, do not be afraid? Have you experienced his grace? Have you heard him say, don't fear? From now on, you'll be catching fish. Have you left everything to follow him? Oh, listen, the fear of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, they're righteous. They're righteous. They've received righteousness. They're engaged in the mission that matters. They are. 
Back to verse 16 of Malachi. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Notice, those who fear the Lord, they're doing life together. They're involved in biblical community. That's why our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. They're speaking to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And God hears. <laughs> Do you know that God hears everything we say? And God sees it all. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who, who esteem his name. A book of remembrance? Um, you know what that reminded me of? Esther. Remember the story of Esther? Remember the, in Esther, there's a, book, there's a guy named Mordecai, and he hears. Remember, he hears a, about a plot to assassinate the king. Remember the story? He hears about a plot to assassinate the king, and what he does is he, he gets the word to the king that, uh, that there's this plot to kill him, and, and, and the plot was foiled, and, and the king's life was spared, and they wrote it down in a book of remembrance. One night, you remember the story, right? One night, the king couldn't sleep. And so the king had them read the book. And when they read the book, he said, what did we do for the man who saved the life of the king? And they said nothing. And then what happened? That, that Mordecai was promoted. Oh. Do you know that Jesus has a book of remembrance? Do you know that? We remind each other, don't grow weary in doing good. God has a book of remembrance. Let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 6, in Hebrews 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God sees, God writes it down, and listen, he never forgets you will be rewarded. Week after week, you help out in children's ministry, you work in the nursery, you lead a children's small group, and you think no one sees and nobody appreciates. The one who matters sees, and he remembers, and he'll never forget. Huh. Listen, you lead a small group week after week, and sometimes you get discouraged. Nobody sees, nobody, oh, oh God sees, and it's all written down, and, and, and he will remember. That's what we need to remind each other. He does see, he does remember. You will be rewarded. Oh, man. You're in a marriage, and it's really, really hard. And sometimes you think about getting out, but, but you stay in because you gave your word. You stay in because you want your children to grow up with a mom and dad. You stay in because you're committed to the institution of marriage more than you are your spouse. You stay in because you want to make much of God. Listen, God sees, and God remembers. You're praying for your friends to come to faith in Christ. You're learning how to share your faith. You're seeing some fruit, but you get discouraged. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Man, I get so discouraged at times, don't you? That's why we need each other. We need each other to remind each other. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up. Didn't you enjoy First and Second Thessalonians this week? Did you, did you find this in Second Thessalonians, verse three? Second Thessalonians, uh, three thirteen. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. You know why we gather together in worship? Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. You know why we gather in small groups? You know why we have lunch together and disciple? Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Those who fear the Lord 
are righteous. Those who fear the Lord are engaged in the mission. Those who fear the Lord do life together. They encourage and are encouraged by one another. Um, Verse 17 of Malachi 3, They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves them. Are you a Christian? You know what's written on you? Mine. Jesus has written mine. Do you know who you are? You're his treasure. You're his possession. He says mine. Now listen, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that Jesus would be our treasure because he really is treasure. But you know we're his treasure? We're his treasure. He could have everything. You know what he wants? He wants you and me. Oh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, but verse 9, but you're a chosen race. Man, you're chosen. A royal priesthood. All this talk about the Queen of England, right, and the, and the new king. You're royalty, right? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. God says, mine. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let me tell you, I used to walk in darkness. He called me into the light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, those who fear the Lord, they're righteous. (laughs) They're engaged in the mission. They're doing life together. They understand that they are Jesus' treasure. Verse 18, so you will... Again, distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Listen, God is just. No one will ever get away with sin. You don't have to worry about other people. No one will get away with sin. Justice will happen. But do you know why God delays his justice? Because he's so gracious. And he delays his return to give people the opportunity to experience his grace rather than his justice. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow about returning and about justice. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some counsel owners, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Listen, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a judgment day. It'll be too late for people to experience His grace. Those outside of Christ will experience His justice. So He waits to give people time. Perhaps He's delayed His return for you so that today you could say, Lord, I repent, save me. Or perhaps He's delayed because there's someone you love and you've not yet gone to them and shared the gospel. Oh, won't you go while there's still time? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. One day soon, Jesus will come back. And those that have trusted in him, they will find grace and those who die in their sins will find judgment. Um, So what have we learned? We've learned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That those who fear the Lord are righteous. They've received their righteousness. They didn't produce their own. That they're engaged in the mission. They're doing life together. They understand they're God's treasure. And that every day Jesus delays gives people an opportunity to experience His grace rather than His justice. So now we're ready for an for an action step. And so the action step I have for you this week is I want you to go where wisdom gathers 
and avoid where wisdom scatters. Uh, will you say that with me? Go where wisdom gathers, avoid where wisdom scatters. We learn there's two groups of people, those who fear God and those who don't, right? This point comes from Proverbs, or action step comes from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You probably saw it. I saw a video this week, you know, of that Wawa store in Philadelphia. Did you see it? You saw all of these people looting a store. And what I thought is they never would have done it alone. They wouldn't have. But when people who do not fear God hook up with other people who do not fear God, they do things even they once would have thought would have been unimaginable for them. That's what happens. When, when people who do not fear God meet with others who fear with God, they do unimaginable things. That's why you want to avoid where wisdom scatters. But I want you to know the reverse of that is true too. The reverse of that is true. When you go where wisdom gathers, do you know... When those who fear the Lord meet with others who fear the Lord, they find themselves doing things they once imagined impossible. I am discipling some people, and they are reading Scripture. They're memorizing Scripture. They're, they're praying. They're winning their friends to faith in Christ. They're discipling others, things they once thought were unimaginable. But that's what happens. When those who fear the Lord meet with others who fear the Lord, they find themselves doing things unimaginable. Huh. And isn't that why we gather together and worship so things once unimaginable would become imaginable? And isn't that why we meet us? Isn't that why we are discipled and disciples of others, isn't it? Oh, one last verse. Then we'll be done. It's such a good verse. It's actually where the title of this message comes from. It's in Second. Um, it's in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Um, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now I've trained you, right? <laughs> That when a verse begins with therefore, you ask that question, what? What is that therefore? Therefore. And if you read chapter 6, Jesus says, come out. Come out of the world and be different. Come out of the world and follow me and I will be with you. Therefore, since we've been called, since we have these promises, therefore, having these promises, beloved. Are you a Christian? Do you smile a lot? We're beloved. Aren't you so thankful for the gospel? Do you know what religion says? Religion says you have to be holy to be loved by God. But what does the gospel say? No, no, no. You have to be loved by God to be holy. That when Jesus captures our hearts, when we know we're beloved, when he captures our hearts, we gladly give him our hands and feet. Beloved. We're beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we're going to be holy, we have to realize that holy is good. It's good to be holy. Remember the primary meaning is to be holy is what? Come on, I, we, I taught you, right? It's to be set apart. See these shoes I have? I only wear them on Sunday. 
they're set apart. I don't run in them. I don't walk in the mud with them. I want to look spiffy on Sunday morning, so I have special shoes so that you'd say, wow, they're clean. If you're a Christian, you're set apart for something special and sacred. It's good to be holy. And I told you the secondary meaning of holiness was what? To be morally pure, right? I know a lot of you drink water out of a bottle because you don't want water with impurity, right? Because you want pure water. I know because I eat with you. Many of you eat only organic food. You don't want food that's impure. You think that's good food. So why do we think moral goodness is something bad? It's good. Well, Smiley, what would it look like to be holy? You know what it would look like? It would look like Jesus, right? He lived a holy life. And when he moves into us, he says to us what? Follow me, right? He's our model for how life is meant to be lived. He's our model for how ministry is to be done and to help us in that he gives us the Holy Spirit. You do know why the Holy Spirit's give called the Holy Spirit, right? You do, right? I mean, he's not holier than the Father. He's not holier than the Son. You know why he's called the Holy Spirit? He's given to you so that you could be holy. You know what he does? He gives us the desire and power to follow Jesus. He loves to exalt Jesus. And when we see Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, look at your sin. Look at your sin. Don't you see how evil it is? And when we see Jesus and see our sin, then we do want to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit because we see how ugly it is. And then, and then he says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look how beautiful a life he would. Don't you want to live like that? And he gives us the desire and power to follow Jesus into the beautiful life. You know what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker? The Holy One says to you and me, follow me. And you know what? He calls us to do it together. And you know, he's given us the Holy Spirit, then we can. <laughs> the Holy One says, follow me, will you? And, and as we follow him together, you know what he wants us to do? To reach out to others and to say, hey, hey, we're following the Holy One into a beautiful life. Do you want a beautiful life? Don't you want to follow him with us? Who do you know that really needs to hear what you've learned today? Won't you go to them this week and say, listen, we're following the Holy One. Wouldn't you like to follow Jesus with us? Oh, dear people, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for living that perfect life for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising and, and offering us salvation as a free gift. Listen, 
If for the first time you've seen your sin and, and you recognize your need of a Savior, I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me your righteousness and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've put your trust in him for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark it out on your card? We'd love to, we'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, we thank you that not only did you, did you live that perfect life for us and, and die for us, but you've given us a model of what a holy life would really look like. And you've given us your Holy Spirit, and you've given us one another. So Lord, I pray that together that we would perfect holiness in the fear of Christ. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that if there are sins in our lives that we've been hanging on to, open our eyes to see Jesus and then to see our sin. And Lord, help us to repent. Lord, help us. Give us the desire and the power to, to lay them aside. And then, Holy Spirit, help us to see how beautiful Jesus is. Holy Spirit, give us the desire and power to follow Jesus. Listen, won't you say, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, give me the desire and power to follow Jesus. And then, Lord, help us to think for a moment about those people we want to go and invite to follow Jesus with us. Holy Spirit, give us the love to do that. Give us the desire and power to go and invite others to come and follow Jesus with us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.